Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck and I'm your host and your name is Listener. And that's what you do, you listen. What's going on, everybody? How y'all doing out there? What's the deal, son? Que paso? Lehau ma. Um, bonjour. Como so va? Um, shalom. That's right. Your boy is bilingual. Your boy speaks many languages. And I have a lot to offer. I have, I have skills. And I have wonderful attributes. Some might say I'm the whole package, but hey, that's their opinion and they're entitled to it. So don't attack them for having eyes and an awareness for great things. Don't you dare attack them. You don't know. Do you know Rick? You don't know Rick. Rick just has incredible taste and he's kind of into dudes. Guys, here we are. Two days after the Super Bowl, and God damn it, was it super. They should call it the Superb Bowl. You know what I mean? It's fine. I'll just be here with my million-dollar ideas. Continue to ignore me. Yeah, at your detriment. <laughs> Boy, I really didn't give a shit about the game. I wasn't terribly interested. I don't really care about sports in general. Um, I like boxing. I like fighting because it's primordial because every single fight is the World Series. You know what I mean? You watch MMA, you watch boxing. These guys are squaring up in in the round. This is gladiator shit. Someone could die. Granted, the NFL that you know, listen, it's a it's a violent sport. They, these young people, they're putting they are putting their bodies and their health on the line for every play. I don't doubt it. But I don't know. I just I like when these fucking when you see like some corn fed white guy from Iowa at 185 pounds looks like he was carved out of marble and he's squaring up with some badass Brazilian guy that, you know, his grandpa was teaching him jujitsu when he was freaking two. And they square up in the octagon, man, that's fucking exciting. But sports are cool, you know what I mean? Like, they bring people together, you know? Super Bowl, it's... it's. Sorry, there's, there's a truck backing up near my home, my apartment, which I'm actually recording my intro in my apartment, which is fucking bananas, because I usually do this at my car, because my, you know, my home has been co-opted by my selfish family. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's, it's, listen, my, my home is home base, for my beautiful, you know, wife and my son, Max. And, uh, you know, they got to be comfortable that we got all the things here. We got bottles. We got food. We got the fucking toys. His crib is here. We have children's Tylenol in abundance here. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, for me, I can, you know, I can go. I can go to my car and record this mobily. I'm not going to disrupt their sketch. <sighs> But today, my wife stayed with the mother-in-law down, you know, where they live and, and with the kiddo. And I'm going to see them a little later. I came back up. I had to do some work at the house. And thus, I got to sleep nine incredible un- uninterrupted hours, which was just a game changer. And then here I am, like a fucking king, 
recording my podcast intro in my living room. What a game changer. Anyway, game changers. You see that documentary? Eh, I don't know if I buy it. Um, so the Super Bowl NFL brings people together. They love this. It's very nice. I was lucky enough to get my brother. I somehow found a connection, and I, I got my brother who lives in Florida tickets with my nephew to the game, and they're sending me videos, pictures. They're just having the best time. I love that. You know what I'm saying? It, it was better than me going, them enjoying it. You know what I'm saying? I know you know what I'm saying. Anyway, I, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, I heard who was performing at the Super Bowl and for the halftime show, and I, I listen, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. I had no interest. They're like, guys, Shakira and J-Lo are performing at the soup. It's like freaking, you know, Zeus and Jesus are performing at the Super Bowl. Aren't you excited? I said, listen, wonder, love them, not for me. Not for me. You know, J-Lo, Jenny from the Six, love her. Best. Great. Shakira, friggin' a world phenomenon. Beautiful. Beautiful people. Love her on The Voice. Not for me. Not for me. It's not my it's not my music. You know, it's just not my it's not my jam. I'm not I'm not jumping in my car throwing it on my phone going to listen to uh you know, a Shakira JLo mashup. Wow, I sound so Jewish in this intro. Anyway, I got to say very good. Very good. Very good. Talented. JLo's JLo is 50. Now, I don't mean to be ageist and or sexist, but when I think of 50, you know, a, a woman who is 50, I think of a, a woman named Karen with a short bob cut yelling at the manager of an Applebee's. That's what I think of. Is that wrong? Am I so off base? It's just, you know, I listen, we all have our experience and this one is mine. But gosh, J-Lo, she, she looks incredible. Uh, obviously, so does Shakira. But I think J-Lo is, is, uh, is a tad bit older. But God, good for her. I was very impressed. And she's got some hits. Bangers, as the young kids call them. I don't know what I just said, but I'm saying it. Um, but it was just very impressive. Now, over the years, people like Maroon 5, this is a band I can get behind. And I don't care, you know, have your laughter if that it's like fun pop rock music. That Maroon 5, that Adam Levine, they're very talented boys. Anyway, but, you know, oh, Coldplay? Fucking, who doesn't like Coldplay? Plenty of people. I like them. But like Coldplay, Maroon 5, I was stoked for them to perform over the years. But they, it just didn't quite, it didn't connect. Like that, that Shakira, J-Lo doubleheader. Gotta say, very impressive. Well done. And that's it. Now the Super Bowl's over, and we'll just, you know, we'll 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 do the same thing we do every year, which is hang out for a few months, and then NFL will start back, and you know, everyone will talk about it like it's the most important thing in the world, and then it'll sort of culminate with yet another Super Bowl, and then we'll we'll just repeat the cycle. And isn't that sad? Um, <laughs> Mark my words, I echo Scott Galloway, the brilliant professor, marketer, uh, host of, of the Pivot podcast with, with Kara Swisher. You want to talk about a doubleheader. You want to talk about a power team. That's them. I would, 
die to have either one of them on my podcast, both or single, whatever. Anyway, Scott Galloway talks about, he's like, I bet you in a couple of years, Amazon buys the Super Bowl. Think about this, right? I bet you they do. They got the most money. Why doesn't Jeff Bezos say, listen, I'm about to go buy a small country. And while I'm doing that, I'd love to also throw you guys a little pocket change. How much How much for the Super Bowl? Three billion, Roger Goodell? Four bill? What do you got? No problem. You, <laughs> Jeff Bezos is going to go meet Roger Goodell in a room. Say, how much for your little Super Bowl? Roger Goodell's going to be like, um, I don't know if it's little. And Jeff Bezos goes, listen, everything, I'm, the, I'm the richest man in the world. Everything is little to me, okay? How much for your little, your little uh, you know, super thing? And he's going to be like, uh, you know, um, he's going to go high because that's the rule of negotiation. You got you to gotta start high knowing that you're probably going to meet in the middle. He's going to go, uh, you know, four, four billion, four, I'm thinking like four billion. Jeff Bezos is going to look at him. He's going to cock his head. He's going to turn back to one of his, you know, one of his cronies, his Amazon consigliere. He's going to be like, Vito, peel him off four billion. He's going to look at Roger Goodell and be like, your Super Bowl is mine. Vito, get the car. Peel him off four bill. You know, and he's going to, Vito's going to pull out a stack of billion dollar bills like they were hundreds. And he's just going to go, and pat, push it across the table. And Roger Goodell's going to be, I didn't even know. Roger Goodell's going to say, I didn't even know that they made billion dollar bills. But, you know, Jeff Bezos has them. On today's podcast, Eddie Pepitone. Eddie Pepitone is your favorite comedian's favorite comedian. He's um, incredibly funny, so smart, Has is sort of like a wonderful you know, anti-establishment guy, isn't afraid to sort of scream at, uh, at, at the corruption and the crazy shit that happens in our world and in our government. But he's also an incredibly talented, smart, and funny comedian. I originally heard him on Mark Maron's podcast and then on Tiger Belly with Bobby Lee. He's a buddy of my friend Jason Nash. And, uh, and I felt really, really lucky to get him on the podcast. So please enjoy Eddie Pepitone. Hey, Heath Buddy, it's Eddie Pepitone. Yes, yes, Heath, I just want to tell you, man, you got this. Going to Wisconsin, you know, in the end of civilization is not too bad. You know why? Because Wisconsin isn't as crowded as L.A. and New York. I mean, it's really dystopian in L.A. and New York. Um, so Wisconsin is kind of this pastoral environment, you know, and let's say Trump gets reelected. You can pretend you're Republican out there, you know. What about becoming a farmer? A farmer, a farmer, not a farmer, not big farmer. But anyway, Eliza loves you and you're going to be okay, you know, um, you're going to be okay. This is Eddie Pepitone telling you, yes, of course, there may be, you know, riots, you know, people rising up and demanding to get what is theirs. But in Wisconsin, I believe there's a lot of silos. All right, Heath, you're going to be fine. And remember, Eliza loves you. Hey. <laughs> 
two things to know. Mountain lion is going to... Okay, let me just upload that and we're all set. A quick 40 bucks. Dude, that's all it is. That's beautiful. Hey, he's Did it funny. Upload? It's Eddie Pepitone. Yes! Yes, he... They just... Yes. For the listeners. I have made, you know, I started about, I think it was about three weeks ago, something like that. I've made. On Cameo? Mm-hmm. And what, how's it going? What's what's the grand total thus far you've made on Cameo? 453. 453? Not bad. After their cut, yeah. What do they take? What are they, What's their VIG? Uh, it's their VIG, exactly. <laughs> their VIG, Cameo's VIG, is uh, you get, Three out of four dollars, they get twenty-five uh, percent. Those motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Bastards. It's really brilliant, though, right? I mean, kind of is, right? A little bit. They've taken a little mean, bit. Yeah. <laughs> the social media and in turn cameo have basically taken all the pomp and circumstance and separation between celebrity and the public. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We're so accessible. Right. I don't know if that's a good... I mean, it's good. Like, someone like me, you know, I'm not a big celebrity at all. You know, I'm kind of a a niche comic, Mm. you know, and my thing is to rant um, against the system. So my fans tend to be... They tend to be pretty uh, well-read. They tend to be people who are... um, you know, they get me, they get where I'm coming from. So I don't mind doing the cameos at all. I feel like, you know, the accessibility is kind of cool, actually. Everybody's been, you know, pretty cool. There isn't much assholism involved, you know? Right. Well, because they got to pay for your time. Yeah. And I feel, you know, I feel a little guilty about that. But, you know, that uh, people are you know, like fans. I mean, it feels a little exploitative to me, but on on the other hand, I do so many shows for free. Right. And I do so much social media for free. I mean, I spent years on Twitter just sending comedy out through the airwaves, you know? And then I burnt out on it a little bit because I was doing so much comedy on Twitter, you know? Um, How many tweets a day were you showing? Oh, I don't know, but it would vary because, you know, if you have experience with Twitter, it's like it's kind of an addictive thing because you get you get um, you're getting the instant feedback. There you go. You get it's the instant gratification thing. Such a dopamine hit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, and, you know, as as. As everybody knows, you know, that's how these platforms were designed to hit that dopamine button. Yes. You know, Facebook uh, has admitted as much and Silicon Valley people have admitted as much that, you know, so in a way we're fucking hamsters, rats in a cage, you know, like. (laughs) They just want us enraged. That's what I've heard. Enraged? Yes. That well, Facebook, that's happening. That's for sure. Totally. And that the thing you do when you're enraged is you you focus in on whatever it is you're looking at. That for them to make you feel utterly uh, full Powerless? of- Powerless? 
I think it's righteous, like righteous indignation. How dare they? How could they? The yeah. rights, how those fucking libs and the left, those crazy conservatives. And it's like, if you're doing that, you are engaged, which means you're looking at their website yeah. longer and they can sell more ads. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. I, uh, you know, sometimes I will enter that fray politically mm. and I realize I don't want to do that much because then you get into these endless fucking arguments, you know, and it just seems like you're not going to change anyone's mind. You know, people are very polarized and the people who come at you are, you know, almost, you know, I think a lot of people get into it as sport. You know, but it's just weird. The, you know, I mean, I'm older, you know, I'm 60. So I grew up without the Internet, you know. And so to me, I see very clearly, I know people have grown up with it. You have grown up with it, right? Yes. And I see it very clearly as a fake, phony, like sad excuse for real life. And I think so many people, I mean, I think podcasts are great because it's very truthful and it's, you know, there's, you know, it's just more of an insight into people because people are really interacting like me and you right now, you know, but when you go online, you know, you get the illusion that you have friends, you get the illusion you have enemies, you get the illusion that you're taking part in society when it really, it really isn't like speaking to people face to face and, you know, it just isn't. And people are, are are just becoming, you know, these automatons or, you know, uh, I, you know what? I don't know if you noticed this, but when I'm online for, for an hour, maybe two hours, I, I start getting depressed. I need to get out. I need to talk to a real human being. And I think so many people don't do that, you know? Oh, I recently deleted Twitter off my phone. Is that right? And it was one of those things where I'd never, and you know, a lot of like your buddy Jason, and that's how we know each other. Social media is a lot of not, it's my work now because mm -hmm. I make money from it. Right. So I always thought that it might be um, d dangerous for me to delete this thing that I need to stay yes. active on. But, it, but it's okay. It's totally fine. <laughs> I devote a couple, you know, an hour or so a week on the desktop. Right. I, I put my fire tweets and my fucking notes pad on the phone so they're ready to go. And if I'm on Twitter three times a week on my desktop as opposed to checking it 40 times a day, mm. all of a sudden I'm not – because it's an enrage machine, right? Because I follow them all. So I follow right. Yashar Ali and Sean King and all like the freedom fighters. Right. But I want to say to them like – are you ever not enraged? Because <laughs> you're making me enraged. Well, it's their work too. Yes. It's their business. That's why they're on Twitter. That's right. You know, because they're getting exposure, they're getting these followers, and, you know, then they make money. I remember yesterday when when <laughs> when Trump did his fakakta, you know, we are something, something big's happened. It's big. And then, of course, you know, two hours later, he comes out that we got that terrorist. Oh. And, and it was, you know what I had missed? Because I wasn't on Twitter. Yeah. I had missed it all. And then last night, or like midday yesterday, someone mentioned something. Right. I went on a news app, got just the major facts, 
And all of a sudden, I didn't spend 10 hours engaged yeah. with what's the kook saying and what's everyone's right. reaction to the kook. Right. And, you know, I wasn't... Right. I, I have a buddy, Ryan Holiday's really brilliant author, and he always says, if you're going to watch football on Sunday, why do you watch ESPN on Friday? It's all editorial. Is it he going to play yeah. or won't he play? Is yes. his knee going to... Just watch the game. Watch the fucking game. You'll know when you watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's a good point that um, we somehow feel like because of the immediacy now of the connection, the internet, like how, you know, it's all about speed. Like society has sped up to the point where something happens in, let's say, you know, Chile in South America, Central America, and um, we know about it a fucking 30 seconds later. And we're like, holy shit, did you hear about, you know, Someone got shot in Chile, you know, whatever it is, earthquake in Chile, protest, the protests are going on in Chile. And then you want to know, like, every, like, it's like we're addicted to information, mm. you know? And it's sort of like, what's the point? Why, we just keep filling our brains with information and we don't, we don't, um, have any context for the information i'm interested to ask you this because to mm. your point like you have a long history of sort of raging against the machine right. and being vocal about this so you've been observer of politics mm -hmm. and the social climate for you know mm -hmm. 40 plus years yeah. or however to me being a 32 year old guy mm -hmm. and to have seen what's felt like a major shift over the last three years and to see people reveal themselves in ways that I never thought possible. I wonder, were these people always like this? Did we hit a tipping point? Is it that they feel like they have their guy in the office now, so they feel emboldened to embrace their real feelings, which were always there, but they were too afraid to share them because they knew it was racist or whatever, you know? like. Or yeah, it just seems like it can't just it can't just have been this guy. It must right. have been yeah. right. Um, well, I think what has gone on, you know, um, is that Trump is, and this is kind of sad what I'm about to say, um, and scary. Trump, Trump is just not a guy from who's come out and no like we got Trump because our democracy f has failed and it started failing in the 1980s and what i mean by the democracy failing is it stopped representing the mass of the people so rage has built up companies take their fucking work out of the country they say, fuck you, NAFTA, you know, with Clinton. And don't worry if you don't follow this because, you know, I've been following, you know, this stuff for a while and I have a viewpoint. A lot of people think, oh, these people, you know, who voted for Trump, they were, do you know there was uh, in, in the election like three, I think it's two million or three million people who voted for Obama in 2016. You know, they voted for Obama in 2012, three million. Three million of them voted for Trump. 
not Clinton. Obama voters. So what it is, is that the working class, working people throughout the country have been betrayed. And, and, and the biggest way you could see that is, have you heard that three guys, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, uh, Warren Buffett, and Bill Gates of Microsoft, own three guys, their combined wealth, those three people, is more than the bottom 50% of Americans. So half the country doesn't make what three guys do, meaning that there's such an inequality of wealth, you know? Right. Like the rich have gotten super, super, super rich, and the poor are really struggling. And that rage then manifests itself. This is my opinion. And, yeah. and people I, I, I read, like Chris Hedges, but... That rage manifests itself. People start to blame gays. They start to blame immigrants. Uh, you know, race. So their racism, their misogyny, all that stuff comes out because. You know, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of these people are racist too, you know, they're just, but it comes out because they don't have jobs. They, they've been bankrupt by medical expenses, you know, they've lost hope. And that's what our country has become. It's become the haves and the have nots. I just visited San Francisco and it is unbelievable. Have you been to San Francisco lately? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a- unbelievable the amount of people who were on the streets. And here in L.A., the tent cities that are up all over the place. Yeah. I mean, that's America. And people just kind of like, you know, everybody's in their little fucking bubble. They don't even... They don't even like acknowledge it. A lot of people they don't realize that that's why you know we've got this horrible person in the White House. He's a reflection of what's gone on. I think you're so right, and I think when people really rage out on him, I want to say like you're Mm. yelling at the sink to spite the well. Like he he didn't win by coup; he got voted, and like people what he was voted in. You know, like. And I think that, to your point, right, it's this, we can have sort of the merits of a capitalist society and the tenets in which the country was founded and have incredibly wealthy people and yet still not have this disparity, to your point, of like the super the super rich who've learned how to game the system yeah. in a way in which like, if you're fucking the Waltons and you're worth <laughs> yeah. 70 billion... Or you could be worth fifty billion, and that twenty billion would be distributed to all the fucking store yeah. managers, so that they're not living below the poverty line with a forty-hour-a-week yeah. job. Well, not only that, but yeah, exactly. And and you're and, still rich. Yeah, you're mega rich. But it's a disease having money. It, you know, they're so greedy. It's like you want more. You want more. You want more. It's an addiction. You, you want you more. You want more. It. I've only got one billion. I want two billion. I want three billion. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's very true. And for instance, Amazon last year didn't pay any federal income taxes. Zero. Zero. That's mind-fucking-boggling. Right. I'm a Bernie Sanders guy, and, and I was listening to Sanders. Uh, you know, they live-streamed his uh, rally in Detroit, and uh, he was saying, 
you know, people tell me, people told me that, uh, oh, where are you going to get the money for uh, Medicare for all, health care for all, or free education? Well, I got some ideas. How about maybe we tax the wealthy, you know, the really wealthy, like Amazon. He brought up the point that Amazon uh, didn't pay any taxes. It's like, that's billions, you know. So you have to, you know, this capitalist shit uh, has reached its zenith. You know, it's reached the tipping point. You know what I mean? There, I don't know if you follow it, but there are incredible protests now going on all over the world, particularly Hong Kong, particularly Chile. Um, and it's going to come here. It's going to come to the United States. I have a feeling, though, what's going to be sad here, it's going to be very violent because our country has kind of gone into a, you know, it's like a civil war mentality. You know, it's it's scary. I mean, I hope it doesn't. I hope people just, you know, protest uh, peacefully. But I, I don't. It just seems that this country is, is, I mean, people call me paranoid, but I don't think I am. I mean, there's too many people hurting right now for there not to be some kind of eruption. And then I wonder, because I was listening to Rachel Maddow on your boy Marin's podcast, uh-huh. and she was saying, and he said something similar to what you were saying, like, is there hope? Are we hitting this tipping point where mm-hmm. we're going to have to remove him from office or what have you? And she just said, we're a country that lived through a civil war. Like, any... Any sort a lot of, of people died in the Civil War. Totally. I mean, it's easy to say. <laughs> it's easy to say. <laughs> oh, we live through the Civil War. We'll be okay. Right. It depends on who you are and where you are. You know what I mean? Yeah, you didn't do so well if you were in Virginia. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? No, people you're right. died in incredible numbers. When I hear the amount of people who died in the Civil War in this country, it's staggering. Yes. It's staggering. But was it ever good? Was there like, I mean, there have been moments of like yeah. extreme prosperity, but I feel like- we- After World War II, there was. There was great growth in this country. The working, working people of the country were able to afford houses, raise families on their salaries. Mm. Those jobs have gone away. Yes. You know? Do you think though, and speaking of the Twitter of it all, like- The Twitter of it all. That's a great, <laughs> that's a great saying. The, the Twitter. Twitter of it all. Oh, why not? The Twitter of it all. Like, but I get annoyed with our, not to pro- project, but like I get annoyed with our own kind of like, especially people my age, like the millennial liberals who feel more accomplished from a killer political tweet than getting out and actually fucking voting, Eddie. We're the fucking majority, but we don't vote. And yeah. and then we just well, want to be Well, that's a great example of what we were talking about, what I was talking about. It's a disconnect from reality. It's like you tweet something and you think you've done something. You know yeah. what I mean? Actually, what it is, and I have this in myself. I'm not just saying, I, I, I totally do it too. Like you tweet this like, a spiffy thing on Twitter about politics and you think, well, I told them. And it's a, it's a very much an ego thing, a narcissistic thing. Right. Like instead of it being, and this is one of the problems with our decaying fucking society, instead of it being like for the benefit of everybody and trying to help others, what you're doing is like, look at me. Look at how smart I am. Look at how cool I am. It's 
it, it, it's uh, it's a really it's going to be an interesting time, especially. Oof, interesting is one way to put it. Tragic. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just, I just, it's wow. And what do you think of? Um, I know you're interviewing me, but what do you think of uh, the the ecosystem that's basically shot? It's. I mean, what I and I'm just I'm just kind of, you know, I I don't really have an original thought in my head, you know. I just I think I read the right people, and you know, scientists are saying, you know, the rainforests are burning, you know, Brazil with this guy Bolsonaro, you know, their capitalism is in capitalism at this stage of the game is devouring itself. In other words, we're burning part of you know part of the reason we burn we part of the reason companies burn the rainforest is so they can produce meat mm. you know the production of meat you know they they graze cattle they they raise grain you know they and and that's the lungs of the earth and the globe has warmed now to a point of just super storms and look look today we are doing a podcast and there are fires all around us there are fires all around us because la has become i mean it's always had fires but they've gotten worse and worse they've gotten more destructive and that's going to continue I drove through a fire to come see you today. Eddie. Get at, did you? Through I was a, thinking about that, and I was thinking if you want, I should have texted you saying if you wanted to cancel. I did you some, drive through a fire? I had some errands inside of town too, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, dro- I drove up the four hundred five because I live in Brentwood. Yeah. You live in Brentwood? Yeah. How is it over there? I don't know. I have a nine month old kid, so my, you have a you, you have a kid? Yeah. So my wife and I at. 5 a.m. this morning. Her family lives. I, I married a good, like, Irish Catholic broad from Manhattan Beach. We bundled up the kid, real heroic style, brought him down to At Manhattan 5 Beach. Yeah. I can't, so you went through it. Just to make sure. Uh, we well, were, that's global. You are living in the eco-catastrophe. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to use hyperbole, but the fire, the fires have gotten worse and worse. And uh, what kills me, and I get in this debate about it with one of my best friends all the time, but politically, we just ideologically, we have different beliefs. And he'll say, you are catastrophizing something that the verdict is still out on what is like, whether a catastrophe is imminent. And I'm like, Right, Hold but it. I'm deferring to the 99% of scientists who yes. think so. And I always want to say to the deniers, and he'll, what he would say is, I'm not denying anything, but whether it's man-made or just natural, climate change just happens, right? This is his debate. Well, he's not. He's one to, of those His people. name is Simon, and you fucking yell at him now. <laughs> Go get him. Simon. <laughs> I, I don't want you to take this personally, but you're an ignorant <laughs> asshole. And, and please don't t- take that personally. You know, because you have a lot of company in this country with people who are really more concerned with the show Ozark on Netflix than you are with the fact that your world is being destroyed no i mean the scientists and uh, hello simon i hope you're well uh the scientists are you know saying exactly what you're saying and and for him to say the verdict is not in yet the verdict is already in for people who've died in fucking incredible 
super storms, you know, that we've had, Houston going underwater, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and people who've died from these fires. The verdict is in. Yes. I mean... You know, people like that, people like fucking Simon, (laughs) they, they, um, you know, they choose, they think they're, I don't know, they think they're being, what is the word? They think they're being... Contrarian, pragmatic, like they're... Does he really believe that the verdict, you know, does he believe what he's saying or is he being contrarian? I think there's a contrarian aspect to it. What he Mm -hmm. would say is, I'm not denying climate change, but he's like, what I'm not saying is that it's man-made. And to which I want to say is, who gives a shit? You know what else wasn't man-made? The Black Plague. But we (laughs) intervened. Because we had the power to, yeah. and we were dying. Well, it's obviously man-made. I mean, if Part he doesn't it, get that, yeah, you know, you know, you have to, you have to be someone who believes in science. And so many people in this country don't. You know, there's a, such an anti-intellectual um, thread of people. There's such an anti-intellectual hatred. You know, and people live in fantasy. I'm reading a book right now by a guy named Kurt Anderson called Fantasyland. And it's how people like Simon, you know, they um, they live in a fantasy world, you know. They live in a fantasy world because they are not being scientific and they're not reading research. The Arctic fucking shelf is melting. Greenland lost so much ice you know all this stuff the oceans are full of plastic what do you mean it's not man-made you know i mean you have to you have to be someone who does research and but you know what it becomes is that everyone starts cherry picking their facts right because there's always going to be facts on both sides if you go to like a very specific nuanced caveat right like you can find some weird thing to hang your hat on and then also there's like this disconnect between it's just the mo- the the thing that makes me want to pull my hair out is that whether politically scientifically what have you now we can't agree on the facts Eddie. So we say well Hunter Biden probably didn't do anything in fucking Ukraine cuz if he did Donald Trump should take the CIA and the FBI to go investigate him. He's got the the greatest investigative system at his behest, right? So if he really thought he did something, go go investigate. And they go, oh, Trump can't trust the CIA and the FBI. <laughs> so I go, well, then, guys, we got we to gotta be done here. Because, like, there's no more. If he can't trust the FBI and the CIA, then we can't do this. Or if it's... Well, he admitted to treason. We can all agree. He admitted it. And they'd be like, that's not real treason. Like, then we're just, we're not, we're not in the same world. We're not talking the same talk here. Yeah. It's like, um, like I said, people are, you know, they think, everybody thinks they're a fucking authority or, you know, everybody's got their own unique point of view. I I don't know. I mean, what's sad is, this is what's sad, is how people aren't, like, helping other, like, how people are divided. And it really is a divide and conquer. Like, people can argue about Hunter Biden, 
right? But meanwhile, the whole the, meanwhile, three people own most of the wealth in the country. And I don't know how many families, 10 families, own even more of the wealth. I mean, the disparity of, well, people don't have health care. People go bankrupt when they get a medical emergency, you know, and people are bullshitting about whether Hunter Biden, you know. I mean, guys, you know what I mean? Like the Biden, and Biden is a terrible candidate. I mean, he's just the fucking worst, you know, because he's another corporate asshole. You know, you want someone, like in other words, people, when they do this Republican-Democrat thing, they don't see that, you know, we supposedly have two parties. We basically have one, you know what I mean? And that party is the corporate wealth party. There's a couple of people who try not to do that, like Sanders, Warren to an extent, but Biden is just part of the establishment. He's part of the problem. And, you know, people who think he's going to make a difference are just crazy. You know, they think Trump, like the way we started this was about Trump, you know. It's not just about Trump. It's about a failed system. You have to change the system. Do you want to say anything to Simon in case you meet him in person one day? Uh, <laughs> yes. Start reading, Simon. Start <laughs> reading. Solid. Um, all right. So I think we need to abandon all of that for a second to talk about the real pressing important fact of this podcast you got beef with samuel l jackson (laughs) you oh you know that he don't sit right with eddie pepitone (laughs) well here's a great example of like like a phony liberal samuel l jackson (laughs) the guy is shilling for Capital One. <laughs> you hate that. <laughs> I love that you well, hate what, that. What, what fucking pisses me off about it is a bunch of things. One, how much money do you need? <laughs> right. He, by the way, Samuel Jackson is the, I think his movies have grossed, you know, box off receipts the most of any actor in history. Crazy. And he needs to do commercials, taking work away from commercial, you know, people who need the money. Right. Like these celebrities who do, I, I just hate celebrities, big celebrities, you know, uh, who do commercials because they're, they don't need the money. They're taking it away from working actors and they're the face of corporate fucking power. You know, you know how, you know, Jackson, I guess I would imagine he's supposedly thinks himself as liberal, you know, like a Hollywood liberal, but. How do you? How are you the face of a Capital One, a bank, you know, a bank that's foreclosing on people's homes or whatever? You know, I'm sure it does that. You know, it, it, it's part of you know this systemic institutional corruption. He's the face of that. On the other hand, he's going, we need to get Trump out. You know what I mean? You uh, Capital One approaches you, three hundred k. I'll do it in a second. I mean, I need the money. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's partly. It. Me too. But I'm not Samuel fucking Jackson. But I do. And plus, I couldn't do it. I mean, it, I've been so publicly railing against that. I mean, I, 
Could you imagine? That would be amazing. That Capital One gets you. It's like when Sprint <laughs> took the Verizon guy. <laughs> oh God, that guy. Oh He's God, that it. you know, just like you know, shilling for telecommunications companies. Oh my God. But I do understand, like the devil's advocate part for Sam Jackson is this, right? Like, yeah, you got to go do three months on a movie to go make whatever his quote is, ten million bucks, which is some nice scratch, right? But you got to go to Fakak, you know, these fucking Marvel movies are shot in wherever the fuck for eight months. Poor you're, guy. You're in front Poor of a green, guy. He's got steady screen. work on Marvel movies. <laughs> and I could just imagine his trailers that he sits in. Sick trailer. Oh, what a fucking, you know. And But the thing is, is that these guys like Jackson have been around for so long. The residuals it's he's sick. getting, he doesn't need to work again. Is it ever- so? I don't know what you're saying. You're saying that it's easy money. It's a million bucks it's for easy a day. money. It's easy money. Yeah, but he's already got money. So I get it. I, you know, it's hard. I mean, I don't like the big celebrities shilling for corporation. Alec Baldwin is such a uh, you know, he's such a fuck. He he shilled for Capital One and Tina Fey for American Express. It's like Jerry Seinfeld for American Express. It's it's like really, really. Let's, let's say Halliburton. <laughs> In a second, a I million do it. Bucks. And I'll t- here's my Halliburton commercial. Hello, <laughs> I'm Eddie Peppertone, and I think most of you know me as someone who's anti-corporate. Well, that's changed with Halliburton. <laughs> Halliburton, who's one of the biggest military contractors in all the world and spreading death throughout the globe, mainly raining bombs on poor people, is actually not that bad if you consider Satan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's so good. That's really, that's very, very good. Yeah. Um. You grew up in Brooklyn? Yes. What part? You know Brooklyn? I'm from Midtown, from Hell's Kitchen area. Oh, shit. Yeah. I lived in Hell's Kitchen for years no at way. 49th and 9th. Wow. I grew up on- uh, It's not called Hell's Kitchen anymore. They call it Clinton? They call it Clinton, but I went to school on 48th between 8th and 9th. And for, were you by the Belvedere Hotel? Um, 49th and 9th? I don't remember the- Where is the Belvedere? It's between 49th between- Eighth and ninth. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think. Yeah, between there. eighth and ninth. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't, it's funny. I don't remember the Belvedere. I remember a movie theater right over there called the World Cinema. Three dollar movie. Theater. Yes, the three dollar movie theater, I used or, or to go the there. dollar movie. Like there was a dollar movie. Was it three dollars? I mean, I was going there in ninety nine, two thousand. But it was yeah, it was three bucks. Oh, I was there. Yeah, I was there around there that time too. I was there for about. I think I was there in Hell's Kitchen for like, I think it was something like five years. And then uh, I lived in uh, East 12th in Manhattan. You know, I grew up in, I think what would be called kind of East Flatbush. I grew up McDonald Avenue and Avenue N in Brooklyn, a real working class area. My father has roots in Brooklyn. His family, you know, from Sicily, um, they have a house in Marine Park, Mm. Brooklyn, and my cousins are in Sheepshead Bay, like good Italians, you know, Sheepshead Bay. My aunt was in Bensonhurst and Bay Ridge, like all that stuff. 
you know. And then my dad moved us to the country, which was Staten Island, <sighs> pathetic Staten Island, you know. So that really formed me, I'll tell you. Like going from Brooklyn and then I fucking go to Staten Island when I'm nine. It's like a different country moving to Staten Island, right? It's a Republican stronghold. It's super, because it's a lot of cops. Cops, firemen, you know, it, it's close to Manhattan, but so far away. <laughs> I've swam in the beaches of Staten Island. Ooh. <laughs> that's how much I hate myself. <laughs> that Yeah, that's when you have to go to therapy, when you're swimming in the beaches of Staten Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a New York guy, and I've been out here in Los Angeles for about 18 years now. You love it? No. No? No. No, I don't. I don't love L.A., um, especially kind of the reasons, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about. It's gotten – I live in – around here, you know, I live uh, Burbank, North Hollywood, Studio City area, and it's uh, hot, extremely hot all the time. I don't think that. That's true. I miss the seasons. You know, the usual complaints, you know. L.A. is a big, sprawling suburb. I've – you know, I feel like, um, and 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 Hollywood. You know, I've been a dis a little disillusioned uh, by the business of Hollywood. You know the, you know how the TV and film industry works. You know, very star fuckery. You know, um, just the narcissism, <coughs> narcissism out here. <coughs> you know that kind of thing. On the other hand. Yeah, in in certain ways, it's not bad, you know. A lot of cool people are out here. Lots of interesting artists are out here and, you know, people who are very ambitious. And usually, you know, like in New York and L.A., you get the best of all the places around the country, people who want to, you know, achieve stuff in their lives, you know. Oh, yeah. Do you – but so – would you go back to New York? You gonna move to Astoria and take the <laughs> fucking train into the city? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. No, no, I'm too old. I'm, I'm... Carry your groceries. Oh, God. blocks. You can only get two bags because your arms oh, are gonna shit, fall that's off. That's true, right? She, yeah. I lived in Astoria too. I lived in Astoria. It's beautiful now. It's what? It's beautiful now. Is it? Yeah, I mean, and it's like where people are going. Where it's like cool enough. And still reasonable enough to like. Oh yeah, it's like Skyway Avenue. Yeah, it's what Studio City kind of was ten years. Oh ago. wow, yeah, yeah. Um, Should have kept my apartment there. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying about carrying groceries and shit. It's. A, I mean, I, I don't know, man. You know, like, you know, it, it's like I, since I'm sixty, for fuck's sake, I uh, I'm thinking more of my friends and my sister have uh, houses in the Hudson Valley, which is gorgeous. They're Rhinebeck. up Woodstock, not far from Rhinebeck. Woodstock, Sorgades, nice. New Paltz area. That wouldn't be bad. That's good living up there. It's good living. And it's beautiful, you know. Get I mean, nice there's fleece. some harsh winter. It's, the winters can be harsh, which would be, you know, a bitch. But and And also, look at our technology now. One good thing. Um, about, quote-unquote, the businesses that we can do it ourselves now, sort of. I mean, you have to get popular, but we could podcast from wherever. Mm. We could do videos from wherever. You know what I mean? Cameos. So, cameos. <laughs> you know why I don't do cameo? 
Wow. And and listen, you want to talk about a shill? You're looking at a mecca shill right here. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked for all of them. I just did a big Google campaign. God bless you, Google. Did you? Yeah, they're good. They're putting my kid through, you know, preschool. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> well, look at that though. The money. I think once people have kids, all bets are off about who they won't work for. It's oh like yeah. You gotta support your kid, right? Yeah, I mean that the most virtuous thing that you can feel. And I don't mean to project, but for me as a man is the idea that I've, mm. and I support my mom too. So it's like, wow, that I can take care of my wife and my kid and my mom and that it's all taken care of everything else. Really? Any, any, what'd you do for Google? I did like a social media campaign for, for, uh, their doorbell, which is actually like super cool. Great product that I can get. What behind. is the Google doorbell? It's the nest. So it's one of those like video doorbells. Oh, the video door. I've been yeah. hearing about the fucking video doorbell. It's beautiful. You can see the guy, the package guy coming to your house, whatever. And, but it's, it's an interesting <laughs> thing. You know, I don't do cameo cause I was on a really big kid show. You were, what have you done? It's called Drake and Josh. And oh, it, I've heard it. It's still on every day. And I got a catchphrase. I got a couple, Eddie. And what I won't do is I won't... Do your catchphrase I for just, people. And, and we all have our, our bottom line. And oh, that's my because you're line. like, I, I, I've left that behind. I'm, I'm moving on in my life. Is that it? If I could do it and it was like Mission Impossible where they'd get the message and then it would explode... <laughs> <laughs> I do it. <laughs> you hate it that much? No, I don't hate it, but what I don't, I really don't. Like I, I've yeah. made my peace with it. I'm, I'm grateful. Right. What I don't want out in the 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 Instagram Ether. sphere, yeah, is me going, "Hey, Donna, happy 16th birthday. Hug me, brother." <laughs> like, I just don't want a thousand of those out there because someone's gonna make a shitty compilation that makes me look like a douche. Right. Well, good for you that you're. Not hitting that money source, you know. I do it just to spread joy. Oh, I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, seriously, and like I said, you know, my the the fans that I do are are cool, you know, and you know. But I you don't seem... know. believe me, if I if I had more money, I wouldn't be doing them. <laughs> but you have the to that point. You, in my observation, have this moniker because I've heard you on Tiger Belly brilliant performance oh really oh my god i don't even remember that interview bobby lee yeah it's one of the best ever and i remember seeing you on jason's uh our friend jason nash's youtube channel and for someone who's not on like on youtube specifically to be able to break through in a video without knowing like the beats of like how do i game the youtube system is very special and like, and honestly, and not to be ageist, but also a guy who like didn't grow up with YouTube. Right. And yet like what you were doing broke through all medium to where I just was like, who is this guy? But What then, was I doing? You just were talking shit. You were riding around in David's Tesla. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you were like, I, I remember, forgot. I, you even said like, can you believe that someone can study acting for decades and then some idiot can make all this money on YouTube? <laughs> Well, how about, you know what I was talking with a couple of comedians, I, I do the comedy store regularly, and I was talking with a couple of comedians outside, and we were just talking about how, what people will watch, like, on Instagram, they're watching people crumble chalk. Yeah. Like, 300,000 viewers are watching people crumble chalk. Or on YouTube, they're watching, I mean, uh, people open 
gifts. And me and these guys were going, our civilization is crumbling. Like the Why chalk. are people... Oh, here's another one. Now, I never grew up... I'm not a video... I'm not a gamer. I'm not a video game guy. You know? I just... I'm not doing it. And um, I've never gotten into it. And uh, someone told me that they are now filling up stadiums, arenas. People are watching people play video games. They're watching people play video games. So not only to me, and this is my opinion, not only are the people who are playing video games disconnected from reality, but the people are watching them play video games. So that's another step away from reality. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is an old person talking, but I just think it's hilarious. Hilariously uh, dystopian. But you have the moniker of your favorite comedian's favorite comedian. Like, you've <laughs> always yeah. had this cachet of being yeah. fucking cool. How does that feel? Where, where do you think that's born out of? Um, yeah, uh, I don't, I, maybe because in a way I just kind of, um, exp like, I don't care, mm. you know, like I'll just say stuff, um, and I'll be like, I don't know, maybe I'm unfiltered and people like that because most people, most people are kind of cautious. They have a plan for success. And I don't really, which, you know, is good and bad. <laughs> the bad part being, God, I still need money at my age. You know what I mean? Like sure. I should be, I tell people I should be in Santa Fe behind a potter's wheel making, you know, pots with children. Like I'm shirtless with a cigarette <laughs> making, you know, like trying to form clay and kids are around me and I'm telling them stories about traffic on the 405. That's what I should be doing now in Santa Fe. <laughs> Instead, I'm busting my ass. I'm about to go on a big tour, by the way. I'm going. Um, yeah, man. I'm going uh, with JT Habersat, a great comedian. Me and JT are doing what, what we're calling For the Masses Tour. For the Masses, which is the name of my new special that is still looking for a home. Uh, I taped it in February. But anyway, me and JT are calling it For the Masses, and we're hitting the East Coast starting November 7th. Uh, we're going Pennsylvania. It's definitely For the Masses. We're going Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, Maine, Boston, and it winded up in Poughkeepsie. Then December, we do like Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas. Oh, killer. And then, um, yeah, so look for that. You can go to my website, eddiepepitone.com. Now, if you did have the financial security to be the guy on the potter's wheel, yes, could you be? Would you be happy? You know, I don't know, but I'd love to find out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Might as well try. You know, I don't know. I think being a New Yorker, you know, and a city guy, like even L.A., as much as I trashed it, also has a lot going on. And Oh, yeah. You know, um, you know would I be able to just chill i think so and the reason being whenever i wanted to plug in that is the good part of the internet right is that you could plug in immediately to uh whatever's going on and different people like like i trashed at the beginning of the podcast like oh it's not real relationships but you i've met people online who are so cool you know when people have been exposed to me and then i meet them it's great 
So it is a tool, right? Yeah, big I've, tool. Oh, beyond and beyond. I, yeah, it seems as though in the comedian's toolkit now, it's like have a great podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a lot of them, though, right? A lot. It's tough, isn't it, to because there's so many podcasts that, you know, there's such competition for the market share, right? I think Bobby Lee and Tiger Belly have something specific because you wind up falling in love with those characters. And Bobby's the only one in the business. So there's like this balance because you also have civilians. The way kind of Howard used to do it. What I brush up against, and I love so many of the stand-up podcasts, is that inevitably it becomes them interviewing their comedian buddies, talking about stories about the biz. And I can only hear so much of that. Right, right. I think the reason Rogan does so well is because... He takes people outside. I mean, he's just curious. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, he and you feel like you're learning something when you listen to his pod. And then once he's had on too many fucking professors, he has Burt Kreischer on. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, great, let's dig in for a couple hours. Yeah, no, that's smart. Yeah. That is smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, And let's hear about uh, your Lauren Michaels vendetta. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live has been so bad for so long. <laughs> I mean, again, this is an old guy speaking, but I mean, when I, you know, I fucking love Saturday Night Live when it came on the scene and it was electric with Belushi and Aykroyd and Lorraine Newman, who I love and is great. I've gotten to know her out here. Gilda Radner. um, Chevy. Chevy Garrett Morris. And it was just, it was subversive. And what it's become, to me, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it in 20 years, and whenever I look at a snippet, it's it's just bull. It's it's pandering. They they have some funny, like they sometimes have a funny thing, but it's just a bunch of character. Like everybody's doing a character. Um, it, it's just you know, especially, I mean, like Baldwin got all this publicity for Trump. You know, meanwhile, Anthony Adamatic. You, do you know him? I don't know. He had a Comedy Central show about Trump, and he's just genius. And uh, James Adomian does Bernie. You know, those guys are subversive. Is there a part of it, though, when you think about, like... I'm a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. Did you ever audition for SNL? No. Uh, yeah, I think I did. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no, never. Like, maybe a tape or something. No, that was Mad TV. That was Mad TV. <laughs> no, I never auditioned for SNL. They never, you know, they never sought me out, you know. I have a theory about how the people like in the 27 Club, the Jim Morrisons and the Janis Joplin and Basquiat Hendricks, right? They left this sort of indelible stamp on the world and then they left. Mm-hmm. And that added to their intrigue and their like infamous nature. But had they lived, without a doubt, one of them would be hosting The Voice. <laughs> like You live long think... enough and you will fucking disappoint everyone. I think that's, that's a good true. point. You know, there's a great comedian in uh, the UK uh, out of London, Stuart Lee, and he's hilarious. And he was saying, fucking Bill Hicks died when he was 35. Of course, he's got a legacy. That's easy. How do I stay fucking relevant? You know what I mean? <laughs> right? Like Hicks has it easy. He died young, you know? Yeah. I mean, who hasn't 
I could see Henrik's. That would be hilarious. Henrik's hosting The Voice is just too funny. Oh, my God. Like he's on acid and he's just kind of like fucking up the prompter, but they <laughs> still go with them, you know? He's just like sitting there, you know, going, all right. <laughs> that was a beautiful rendition of Kelly Clarkson's. <laughs> what, um, let's, let's talk about being a vegan. Ooh, Okay. You're new vegan, uh, vegan for a long time? Uh, it's been about, I think it's seven years now. Wow. How's it, like how's it? And it took a while to get good at it, meaning, you know, um, not missing meat, not missing dairy, you know. Because um, you're a good I mean, Italian my wife boy. really, my wife is the driving force behind that. She is a vegan and um, her passion for animals. It's all about, you know, for me, uh, it, it's about animal rights. And then second, it would be about the fact that we're destroying the environment by uh, eating meat. And these are easily looked up facts. You know, the production of methane from all these factory farms is just unbelievably warming the planet more than cars and, uh, you know, factories. And that's just a fact. And, um, and then third is, I guess, health, you know. Um, but, that's, but health is third. And I think the people who do it for health first, being vegan... Uh, you know, they're more likely to quit, quit it because, um, they, uh, don't have, like I have it to me, it's for compassion for animals. I mean, the, the abuses that go on, uh, with that, they're living fucking creatures and, you know, it's just, it's just super horrific and, I think, you know, and I, like, I, I literally saw the light. I mean, I'm Italian. We ate everything, you know? I mean, you guys will eat the lungs. That's right. Organs. The stomach, tripe. Oh well, I never, we never really did that, but I love sausage. I loved it all, you know? And then I fucking was like, no, you know? I, I saw some videos. I read some books. I was like, no. My no wife's more. vegan. Is she? And she's. Is it for animals first or health? I think it's or for, the environment. It's animals. Okay, first. cool. Yeah. That's great. I I would say so, and then it just started to disgust her, and then what disgusted her? Just the idea of eating flesh. Oh wow! And now, how long she been doing it? She's been doing it. When we met, she was kind of like an on and off again vegetarian. Like she'd be almost totally vegetarian, and then she'd be like, but she'd fuck up some carnitas or <laughs> like some like <laughs> right, a BLT. Right. I'd be like, for a fucking veg, like when you go out, you go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then about three years ago, she said no more of that. Yeah. And it was quick. It was like three months of being a vegetarian and then vegan. Well, no one's going to deny that that stuff tastes better, you know, but but veganism has really grown like uh, as far as taste stuff and you know, it's, it's, I don't miss the other stuff now because there's so many good vegan restaurants, you know, Beyond Meat, Impossible Burger, all that stuff is pretty good, I think, you know, and just, you know, it's gotten better and better because more and more people are doing it, you know. Neil Brennan. Yes, Neil, I love that about Neil, yeah. But at being a comedian, is there still a part of you that gets annoyed by vegans? <laughs> 
You know, there's this comic from New York. I forget his name. He goes, the worst part about being vegan is having to apologize all the time. <laughs> Which is really funny. Um, yeah, they're, they're a punchline. You know, vegans are a punchline to a lot of comedians, you know. Um, but they're also... and it's, Well, you, tr- you shouldn't be an asshole when you're a vegan. In other words, you shouldn't try to shove it down people's throats. Yeah, or be like easily triggered. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, fuck, the vegans are, are... And God bless them. And I'm like 80% vegan. Are you? Yeah. But they'll Good. come... They'll fucking come after you. <laughs> you talk some shit, they will come out. Well, I think there's, yeah, there's a passion about, you know, particularly animal rights people, you know. I think because the abuses are so horrific to mm. animals that when you see that, um, I, I think your reaction is just rage, you know, because you're dealing with slaughter. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I get it. And, you know, again, you shouldn't try to be an asshole, you know. Um, I don't know what to say about that. But, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, you know. So, they have two more questions. and Yeah, I got to go a little bit. Yeah, got it. I'm, I'm done. Um, yep. So, th- the first one is... You seem to have, and maybe this is just a result of being a stand-up for this long, you seem to be okay with what's, you don't seem like you're trying to people please, you know? You seem secure in who you are as an artist and as a person. Someone told me that yesterday as well. Really? But I still, uh, you know, I think every comedian is lying if they don't say they're people pleaser because that's our fucking profession yeah you know i mean no comedian i think wants to go into a room and have everybody walk out <laughs> or no it's so hard to to perform and you're not getting a lot of laughs i mean i, I still do try hurt to stay- after all these what's years? that if, if yes it hurts yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It better. One th- <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine ever getting over the idea that something that you thought was funny in your head fucking falls flat to an audience. That hurts. Yeah. Or the opposite. It kills and you're like, holy shit. Right. You know? Yeah. I think every comedian um, is addicted to, you know, Laughter and adulation. I, rem- I remember me and my friend were talking once saying, I just want to be adored. Yeah. I mean, that's the level of it, you know. Um, I, tr- you know, I have reached, I'm much better now that I've been doing it for many years. Like, I would throw up before shows because I was so nervous to do stand-up. Wow. Um, if I bombed, I was destroyed for days i was so self-loathing now i don't throw up before shows i eat before shows. no <laughs> i try not to eat before shows because you get you just feel too like lethargic and logy right. but i i i um i don't care as much if i don't have a good set i'll go fuck i gotta work a little harder at you know, structure, whatever. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't destroy me the way it used to. So, in a sense, I mean, it's just time. You know that I'm like, okay, I'm kind of confident in what I do and who I know who I am. But it it's a lie to say 
I don't care what people think. Um, okay, last question. It's what I ask everyone on the podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's how I close. What are your one or two Eddie Pepitone commandments? Truths that you have discovered that you'd want to impress upon someone else? Oh, um, that's it's all. Oh, this is one of these questions where I have no idea what to say. <laughs> um, I would. Uh, what would I say? I I would say um, that you need to be kind to yourself um, because that's a biggest lesson that I've learned. I've always been kind of a self-loathing person to say the least and to go through life like that is so hard, you know? So somehow you have to find a way to parent yourself, to be the loving parent, you know? whether you had that or not, you know, you need to do that. So I would say that's a commandment if you want to. And, and then the other would be, and it's kind of in the same vein, um, you know, be patient, you know, don't run away from things. Because I spent so much of my life, like, ignoring responsibilities and, ignoring things that I should deal with, you know, and I think if you can just really be face, face the bad stuff and that'll lead to a rewarding life instead of running from it. And then the other thing would be Ben and Jerry's has a great new non-dairy ice cream. That should be which one? <laughs> I, I don't the know. Something with smoke. caramel swirls in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the the Republic of Iran, no, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia Tourism Board says. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Eddie Pepitone for the Saudi Arabian Tourism Board. Sure, we just dismembered a, uh, a journalist in one of our embassies. I'll admit that was a misstep. <laughs> But you know what? Women are starting to drive here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Thanks, Josh. That was it. That was Eddie Pepitone. How good was that? Right? Come on, Eddie Pepitone. Go see him on tour. He's the best. Um, check out his website. It's in the liner notes of this episode. That's it, guys. God bless. Have a great fucking life. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Love you.